So I am super excited today to be talking to the closest thing that I have to a musical theater colleague, um, like here at Chico State, because uh, our guest is actually part of the California State University system with me, the one of the only other musical theater voices in that. Now, we did have Marty Austin Lamar on the podcast in, in uh, season one, um, but uh, this is the head of uh, Fullerton State, CSU Fullerton's musical theater BFA program. Um, he's got a ton of Broadway credits, some of which I'm excited to ask about. Um, and uh, most notably was in the original cast of It Should Have Been You, which should have run longer, if you ask me. <laughs> and um, uh, and most recently, that, in, as far as I know, most recently, the most recent thing I saw him in was in uh, the last season of Marvelous Miss Maisel, which is like one of the best shows on TV. So uh, welcome to the carefully taught Josh Grizzetti from Fullerton State, uh, California State University, Fullerton. Yeah, I love it. I love Fullerton State. You keep saying Fullerton State. Maybe we can branch off and become San Diego State is a thing, right? Right. That's, well, and that's so is also... Chico State. Yeah. Ah, so, see, yeah. that's why it's in your lexicon. That's yeah. it. I have to keep correcting myself. But <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but the CSU, the California State University, is the largest uh, university system in the country. And we have, you know, branches, if you will, locations all over the campus that are designed to focus on students from that particular re region. And the only two BFA musical theater programs in the CSU are Chico State and CSU Fullerton. Right. So I um, was super excited when Josh and I finally had an opportunity to cross paths before, right before uh, his uh, his performance in uh, the music circus production of Ragtime. Um, but Josh, I'm doing a lot of talking about you. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess a really good place to start was you, you are still and have been working. You have been working and are still working professionally as an actor all the time. What inspired you to make that that big transition into uh, into the classroom? So it's weird. I always wanted to teach and I always wanted to teach higher ed, even when I was really young. Um, but I also, it was important to me, and this is not necessarily something that's important to everybody who teaches theater in higher ed, but it was important to me that I wanted to have um, a resume that I could point to and say, here's how I applied all this stuff. Here's what it looked like for me. Um, and that I really understood the industry before I went to teach people to set their sales into that industry. Um, so I was always interested in it. And I even flirted with going and getting my MFA while I was doing It Should Have Been You. Um, and I remember I got to the point of like kind of uh, <laughs> either jump off the cliff or not. And I remember the guy running the program that I was talking to, which was in New York, um, kind of said, well, listen, you, you can't do an MFA program like this and you need that MFA to teach higher ed even the ones who say they're open to hiring people just based on experience. I, I don't know most, it's a, it's a, it's a sticky situation. So he was like, you're going to need the MFA, but the reality is most MFA programs, you're going to need to dedicate all your time to this. And if you're working as an actor on Broadway and doing television stuff, like unless you really don't want to do that anymore, like don't get your MFA yet. Just wait until you're really ready to transition out. And, and I took that advice um, and didn't do it. And that held all the way until the pandemic. <laughs> and when the pandemic hit, my first knee-jerk reaction was, 
how long is how long is everything going to be shut down? If this is shut down long enough, I'm going to dive into an MFA program. And I did. So I did. I was in Los Angeles by that point. I, I had already moved to L.A. and I found this great um, performance pedagogy uh, program through Loyola, Loyola Marymount University, which is in the heart of L.A. And uh, and I told him, I was like, look, when the pandemic lightens up, I'm I'm going to go back to auditioning. And if I'm still doing this, that's that could create a problem. Is that going to be a problem for you? And they said, no, no, no. We want mid-career professionals. We want people who are still doing it. And so if you got to go away for a few months or weeks or years, like whatever you need to do, go do it. We support you and you can come back and finish the degree whenever you can. And because it was the pandemic, nothing was in the way. So I plowed through a three-year program in a year and a half. And right as it was ending, I, and I had also kind of made a commitment. I, I wasn't going to teach outside of New York or LA um, just because of I wanted to stay in the industry. And I knew, I was like, I don't know, I, I, I may not even use this degree for years. And then right as I was finishing it, Cal State Fullerton had a position open up for the head of their musical theater program. And I was like, well, that's a little too good to be true. So I just <laughs> took a shot at it. And then I just think, you know, when the universe opens a door, walk through it. And that's what I did. Oh my gosh, so exciting. So how do you continue to find that balance, right? So you you were running this program and uh, also seeking job opportunities as a performer. Um, yeah, I guess that's the question. Like, what's, what's the balance for you? Um, it is, balance is the right word because I have to make compromises on both sides all the time. Um, and that means... My agency needed to understand what I was doing. Uh, they needed to be supportive of that. They needed to know that I, I wasn't going to be able to turn around auditions as fast as I used to. Um, I'm going to need more more leeway time. Um, they had to know that I was only going to be interested in certain types of projects. Um, and I'll be really honest, my agency still wishes that I would just stop teaching and move to New York. <laughs> And do more theater, but I, I, theater is the long running theater is the thing that I really had to give up because that's the thing that there's really no without me taking a sabbatical or you know taking a leave of absence completely, which I would do. I would take a leave or do a sabbatical if a project was really you know necessary for me to do creatively and whatever. Um, but I probably wouldn't go and just replace somebody in a Broadway show anymore. Um, uh, so there it's it's balancing that stuff, and then on the university end, it's making sure that my students understand what the value of this can be um, and making sure that they're a part of it, giving them full, complete access to all of it, the entire process of when I'm auditioning, how I'm auditioning, what the callbacks look and feel like, what the negotiations look and feel like, what the productions end up doing, like just letting them have insider access in real time, I think is really exciting for them. Um, even when it means I've got to twist schedules around that we weren't planning on. I've got to move some things virtual that we weren't doing. I have to bring in subs, subs for this and that. Um, and then making sure the university is okay with all of that. And the protocols are all being met and we're taking care of everybody. Um, and just making sure it's all clear. And uh, like anything that's this complicated, it's just about transparency um, with everybody involved. That's the bottom line. Josh, it sounds exhausting. Um, I, I, yes. And I, I'm just going to dive right in on this without you even having to ask this question, yeah. because it is exhausting. And um, it, it is almost to the level of having two full time jobs at all times. And uh, and one with Grace uh, has breaks over the holidays and has breaks over the summer, um, but the other doesn't. So it feels like you are hustling 
all the time. Uh, and I will say, you know, my wife over the last two years, as I've been doing both of these things, um, we're in year three of this now. And she's kind of like, you know, with Maisel filming in New York while I'm teaching here, um, it, that was a lot of months of back and forth, back and forth. And she was like, this is awesome. But at the same time, this this cannot go on forever. Like at some, and we don't have kids. If we had kids, I don't know if this would be possible just to be totally transparent. Could it maybe? But uh, for us, I can't imagine it. Um, and I think if we do have kids, that's probably going to be the thing that's going to make me have to decide a little bit about, well, what exactly does my priority want to be? Um, so it gets, you know, life makes things complicated, but we're used to that. Our, uh, that's our whole profession is navigating work-life balance for us performer folks. So are you, um, you keeping a lot of balls in the air? Um, you know, you said it sounds like two full-time, it, it is two full-time jobs. It sounds like three when you consider all of the planning and, and the coordination between the two, you need like a, you know, a coordinator, to just figure out your, your, your damn schedule. Um, are, are, do you, is it, um, you said you, you said that it was a lot, especially when you were in New York with Maisel, but, um, do you do you see yourself maintaining both of these uh, acts for the long term? Um, like what? Wh I mean, I guess part of this question is: Are you enjoying being in the classroom? Are you are you enjoying to continue to perform? Like, what's your plan? What's your plan, man? I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like the way I got into this, I I do trust the universe will point me in the direction I need to be in. Um, right now, it feels like it's sailing me fully towards the university life um partly because we've had such great success here at cal state fullerton over the last couple of years just watching this program transform um and being a part of that was really exciting it's so rare that you i mean i'm sure the people listening to this podcast being theater educators in higher ed you know how hard it is to get anything changed at a university like that is it, it especially big big systemic changes. Um, that's kind of what we were able to do here because the university was so ready for change. They wanted it. So they were like, okay, what do you need? And they basically handed us the sledgehammer. And that, that was, that lit me up, you know, <laughs> how exciting is that to know? And just knowing from my friends who had been in academia for a long time, people being like, oh my God, you should a hundred percent like dive into that. Um, and interesting, cause you, you had sent me, uh, Caitlin Hopkins is, uh, uh, interview that she did with you all and I feel like she had a similar thing and she was the first person I called I was like I know you've been down this similar thing and hers is even crazier because she started a program from scratch we at least and well and that there's pros and cons to that <laughs> of inheriting something but knowing that they wanted you to reinvent it and that they were giving you sort of this blank check to do it was so thrilling so I I, I don't know I not only do I see myself staying in academia for a while I see myself staying at Cal State Fullerton for a while um, it's just, this has become sort of my, this has become my child <laughs> in some way. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know, I mean, you, you all know this better than I do, because I feel like you've, you've probably been in academia longer than I have, but that connection with students is sort of so precious and invaluable for all the headaches that can come from it, <laughs> uh, is so, that they're so, it's just being able to teach the next generation is, I don't know, it, it lights me up too. It's it really is so exciting. I I want you to um, would love for you to talk a little bit about um, what that vision is. I mean, I don't know if you have to get into the weeds, but what about the changes? Like even the image of the sledgehammer made me so excited hearing you say that. 
um, maybe not focusing on what you've taken away, what what are the things that we've added um, since you've been involved? Well, um, this is kind of what did we take away and what did we add? Um, there was a uh, this was a cut system for many, many years uh, and which I think all the old musical theater programs, the ones that started in the 90s or the 80s, or all of them started as cut programs. Most of them got away from it over the years. And this one, for some reason, just didn't. It just hung around. And that model um, serves some university needs, but it, it just for the students is just so traumatic. Um, and we know that we've had we got plenty of evidence about what that looks and feels like. So um, so that was the first thing that we got rid of. And in replace of it became this fully, you know, laid out four year BFA uh, program that we were auditioning in high schools like you're like most students are used to doing. Um, but that is a, that's a major thing uh, because so many of the if you didn't get into the BFA program in your third year, you typically stayed as a BA uh, at the university and that populated the BA program in a way that they never had to really think about it. They just let the people sort of carry over into it by default, which is not a great or a very ethical model for that. But so they knew they had to get rid of it, but they knew they were going to take a huge hit when they did. And so that's the type of sledgehammery stuff that I'm like, y'all know what's coming, right? When we make this change, that's going to be, that's going to change the economics of this whole department. Um, they were like, we know. And by expanding to a four-year program, that really meant you had to hire more voice faculty. You had to find new, new spaces in the building to house those faculty in those classes. Like that's a lot of infrastructure that is precious commodity for for universities so um so the fact that they were willing to do all that was was mega but so we that's that's what we gained is we gained the reliability of it for the students that they knew when they came into the program we were going to carry them all the way to the end as long as they wanted to continue it um they they the safety that that creates in the class by class you know they're no longer feeling like there's they've got some you know gun to the back of their head that at any moment <laughs> it, we're trying to say it's a safe space to fail but if you fail too much <laughs> Well, then you're not going it, to it, that that doesn't that doesn't work. Um, they, they know that that's hypocrisy in some level at some level. So um, so all that they gained and then you gain the training. I mean, everybody else who's graduating with a four year BFA has four years of private voice training and four years of dedicated dance training and et cetera. If you're not giving them four years of that solid training, they are at a deficit compared to some of the others that they're going to be competing with on the outside. And that just doesn't seem fair either for a vocational program like a BFA. So they got they got all of that. We also made a big shift with the fourth year acting curriculum. We made it all film and television centric. So they go out with content in hand. Um, the classes were already there. The infrastructure was there. We just weren't using it that way for the musical theater majors. So now they are. And it's also bridging that divide. So you don't feel like the musical theater people are somehow so separate from the acting people that they don't know what to do in Los Angeles, that they don't know what to do in front of a camera. Um, we're trying to get rid of all that sort of stigmatization and giving you full access, a full tool belt to do everything you need to do in the industry. I mean, I I spent 80% of my career doing musical theater, um, but 50% of my career financially was in film and television, at least, even though hours wise, so much more was spent in, in musical theater. Um, I don't know how I would have survived all these years had I not been um, capable of doing film and TV, straight theater, musical theater, commercials, voiceovers. It took everything just to keep me afloat. And I think that's become the standard. So I want to make sure we're giving everybody as many of those tools as possible.
It's brilliant. And it seems to me like, you know, a lot of people are trying to make the the shift into more and more acting for the camera type stuff, but you're such the perfect person to like lead that charge because you really have had this career and continue to have this career in both. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and I've got so many questions for you, is um, I have heard you joke before about being Cal State Disney. And <laughs> I don't know if you know this about Kikau and I, but we are both Disneyland, Disney World fans, fanatics. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, half the podcasts that we have are just us talking about the recent trips we've had to one of the Disney parks. So I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about what is that relationship? I know there's some formality to the BA and there's that relationship there that you just recently did a TikTok about, but then also you have students that work there. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship? Because that is something unique that students would only get in your program. Yeah, I mean, we we're 15 minutes from Disneyland. So we're we're so close to, to it. And so a lot of our students, especially in the BA for theater and in the BFA for musical theater, um, they work at the park, whether they work there just uh, as staff members or whether they work there as cast members <laughs> um, for all the various performance opportunities there are there. Um, that's a major part of how a lot of students fund their education here. Um, that's their side hustle. And a lot of people come to this school because they love Disney. Which I, to not to not acknowledge that would be uh, a, it would would be a miss. So, um, so that's part one. But part two is that Disney has this new Aspire program that covers uh, college tuition for undergraduate degrees. Um, if you're a part-time employee there or a full-time employee, but um, but there but for being part-time, that means that a lot of our students can qualify for completely free education here. Um, it doesn't apply, and I, I, if you've seen my TikTok, you know, um, it doesn't apply to the BFAs, um, which I don't know why that is. Uh, it's probably, they're probably just not really clocking it yet. But, um, but until this year, it didn't apply to any theater degree or any arts degree at all. It was all like business degrees and English degrees and, and just sort of the basic things. And I was like, and so I have been, as soon as I got here and learned that that program was coming online, I, I was like, why would you not be covering performing arts? This is an entertainment company. Like this makes no sense. And so I was hammering that on every article that was posted about Aspire, everybody on LinkedIn who worked for Disney and was like, we're part of the Aspire program. I was like, okay, nobody ever responded to me ever. No one ever even responded to the comments I was leaving, but I was hassling them. And then this year, quietly, all of a sudden, theater BA is covered by Aspire. So, and that is the, and as much as I, I, I hope that they eventually cover the BFA as well, that's the largest demographic of students we have. That's hundreds of students. And I think that's, that's an exciting leap forward for all of us. Um, so there is that technical thing. They have to approve the exact degree at the exact campus um, to cover uh, the tuition, but that now qualifies here. Um, and then lastly, we have this pipeline where every year um, the casting folks for Disney Live Entertainment, which covers all of the theme parks nationwide, all the cruise lines, technically all the parks uh, internationally, um, uh, as well as their tours and their Broadway companies, they come to Cal State to do an audition workshop where for the students, it's just an opportunity to see what the what that feels like for Disney specifically, because it is kind of its own thing. It has its own actors equity contracts. They are they they've justified their own. They own their own Broadway theaters. <laughs> Disney is its own entity now. Um, so to see how they run things is just great. But it also it's a scouting mission for 
for the casting folks. So we're getting their actual choreographers, their actual heads of casting, and they come in and do a thing every year. This year, they've been doing it every semester <laughs> um, just because it's been working out. They've it's, it's been a good experience for both sides. So, um, so there is a formal sort of thing brewing there that we're just creating uh, tighter bonds with because why not? They're right here. We're also very happy to say, one of the only ca uh, campuses that has authorized uh, trademark relationship with them so that we can build these, you know, Cal State t-shirts with Mickey on them, which, you know, if you're a Disney fan, that's a that's a fun thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm I've never been so jealous. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I want it. I want it. Um, my you know, my husband and I go just all the time. Anytime we can make it happen. Um, I I the question that I'm thinking of is, you know, um, I love that you're using the location and what you have, Los Angeles, uh, Disney, Anaheim, and yet there's still a um, a drive and a connection to other markets. So be it New York or Atlanta, uh, Chicago. And so I'm wondering how in LA you kind of keep touch with uh, the greater market. Um, and I guess this could be answered through a showcase opportunities or bringing guests in just curious to know what that connection might be yeah so i know one of the projects we do in the fourth year is the students have to do um research on all the other cities you could live in as an actor besides new york and los angeles um and they do a little report on like how many agencies can you find in those cities how many uh casting companies can you find uh, and what projects are currently filming there or how many regional theaters exist there, whatever it is like we just we, that's all part of that project and then they all present it to one another so you somebody takes. Uh, they do take Chicago they do take Seattle and San Diego and whatever all of the different places that you could think to live um, uh, that are notable for theater. Uh, which is, I think, really enlightening for them uh, to give them some options and let them know you don't have to just be in those two cities, the other thing is we are training now so heavily towards the digital content world like you uh, self tapes have become the primary audition training now, um, which you can do from anywhere. Um, they have to they have to complete online casting profiles at all the major things uh, as assignments in classes so that you can step right into that world. We ask them to source their uh, self tape audition assignments through what is currently casting. So if they want Yes, they're going to submit it to us for a grade to see if they're doing it correctly, but if they want, they can also submit it to casting. <laughs> so it's like a twofer. Um, so we're trying to build that that in inherently. We have a massive showcase um, uh, experience that we build into the program. And right now, and I say massive, it was already like sizable and high impact programming, uh, taking the students to New York. And we also do an LA showcase as well, um, although that's a much smaller market for musical theater showcases. but um, but the New York one is is fairly large, and we, it's been expanded over the last couple of years to not just be a singular performance, but to be a series of workshops throughout the week with agents and casting directors and managers, in addition to that performance, which is now at 54 Below, which is a prime venue that is that students get really excited about. There's Again, we're getting digital content of that as it goes, so the agents that are not interested in, in showing up live. We are creating digital content that we can also blast out afterwards. Um, 
which is just such a big part of what we have to do now. A lot of our classes, in addition to the self-tape stuff, we're also getting digital content there. We're creating uh, vocal reels. Again, we changed all that acting curriculum in the fourth year so that they're naturally getting an acting reel when they leave. Um, and if, they're, if they intend to market themselves as a dancer, we find time in the curriculum to get dance footage as well. So they're walking out with all of this content that they that they didn't need to have in the past, but now they do. Um, and that's where it can apply to any market they want to take it to. Um, so that's how we're really trying to pan out across the whole country. So Josh, I'm really curious. I feel like you're so unique in that um, you you've been you've been doing this. You said your third year at uh, in Fullerton, right? So you know you you're still a relatively fresh voice in the musical theater educators landscape. In addition to the fact that because of your geography and also just your your multi-talented and go-getter attitude, you're like maintaining this professional performance career. I feel like you're a very unique voice. And I'm I'm curious, like as you are working with students in the classroom, you just were talking a, a little bit about some like uh, programmatic things that you do a little bit differently. But I'm wondering if you could tell us you know, the, 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 this unique experience of being a new teacher, continuing to work professionally, what are some things that you feel like maybe you do differently in the classroom that our listeners can steal like an artist, as I say to my students, or be inspired by because you're doing it maybe a little bit differently than other people? Oh, gosh. And I, I think this is tricky to answer because uh, I don't have enough longevity to say that any information I offer now... <laughs> has been proven. There's not enough peer review of this. <laughs> so let me just say, I'm going to speak in in process here. Uh, <laughs> and if none of it works, then uh, don't come back to this podcast and uh, blame me. Um, I, I will say, I um, one of the things I do is I start by talking about who I am as a professor, who I am as a person, how my brain processes information, um, how I was as a learner. I, I try to express all of that up front to the students to give them some context, a framework to view me through. <laughs> like, okay, this is what he's, this is kind of his MO. This is how his brain works. And therefore, this might indicate a little bit how I will learn from him as a student. Or the, it'll, it'll, it'll sort of enlighten us on what the hurdles might be between me and certain students, or what the fast tracks are going to be between me and certain students. It just gives that communication there. It also humanizes me, I think, in a way, which I think is that is a mm, empathy humanization is a big part of how I teach. I have a whole speech I give on day one about um, getting away from dualistic thinking or binary thinking, us versus them, teachers versus students, you know, whatever, whatever the other is that we that we find ways to create for ourselves how do you get away from that and start looking at each other as collaborators because ragtime's a great example i just did ragtime this summer this last production i did my co-star in ragtime is literally a 10 year old girl like that is my collaborator and i you know yes we are at different places in our lives and we have whole different viewpoints on everything but this is the person i have to connect with this is the person I have to build a scene around and, and create a professional environment with. So I, you do, that's what we do as professionals. It gets weirder when we have this authority differential, this power dynamic that changes in academia. And so, but then again, rather than just sit on that, I just blow the doors open on that. And I, I talk about that power differential. I'm like, here's why, um, I'll be honest, I, I'm so casual 
that's one thing I'm, the decorum is very low in in my world which can get me into a lot of trouble i think the first thing maddie the first thing you said when you saw one of my early tiktoks was you are going to get in so much trouble on this app <laughs> it's true i did i said it i said that <laughs> which is so true i i just i don't come from that academic academic world where i'm like kind of trying to curate exactly every word I say. I throw things around that I that are probably a little dramatic for for someone who's in academia. But um, the kids generally love that. But I also say that's 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 part of what I'm bringing to the table all the time. That might not vibe with you. Some students are like, this is like, can you just act a little bit more like a professor? <laughs> um, and I get and I'm like, listen, if you're that person, like you don't like me dropping the f bomb all the time. It happens. I I talk like a sailor. It's a it's a problem. Um. Uh. But if that if you need me to curb that for you, please let me know. And I I what I can promise is that I'll do my best to accommodate you in the way that I would any other accommodation. Um. But I'm open about who I am and how I process the world. Um. So uh, all of that to say, I I don't know. I authenticity is important to me, and I feel like that is the thing. Um. But I also. I also, because I'm so casual, I make them call me professor. I don't let them use my first name. And that is not typical in this department. Most everybody here uses their first name. And I think that's typical in most theater departments now it, because it, there is an intimacy involved in helping people unpack their lives and their instincts and who they are you know, um, as they go through acting training. And for me, that just becomes it, it can become muddy water because I'm so casual and because they can view me as just a friend, just a collaborator who I'm exactly eye to eye with. It's like, yes, I want you to see me that way. However, I also want you to remember that framework that there is a power dynamic. I am responsible for your grade. I am a mandatory reporter. If you tell me something that that you're struggling with that is putting you in danger in any way, I have a legal obligation to take. That's different from friendship. I'm not quite a friend. Though I'm very friendly, but creating all of that conversation and transparency has been really critical to what I have done here over the last couple of years. So are you Professor Grissetti or Professor Josh or simply you just have them call you Professor? Um, I, any of the above. Um, they can call me anything as long as that word, because that word is so unique. We don't use it except for in this one instance. And so anytime they they connect with me on something, it's an instant reminder of what that dynamic is. Um, whether it's Professor Josh, Professor Grizzetti, um, or just Professor, um, all of the above. The only thing they're not allowed to call me is Mr. Grizzetti because it, it's just nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> I feel like a high school math teacher and I just can't. But um, other than that, they, ha they have carte blanche to, to use anything besides my first name. Oh my gosh, I love this. I am so cash, like I am a casual teacher and am, um, and so it's like, I didn't even think about it. I just have to have them call me Professor Kikau and the world, the world will shift. Um, I, I, I love that, that when the question was about, right, what you're doing, it connects to the human thing, which is sharing vulnerability, authenticity. Um, and I'm wondering, and you sort of touched on this, but I'm wondering what the result is on their end, how you've noticed in the classroom they respond or they've shifted to your authenticity. I mean, and again, this is where I say longevity is not my friend here. So I, I keep waiting for something to go horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> you know, I just, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, what has happened is the more open I am, the more open they are, um, the more willing they are to trust me with information, with, with things that are bothering them, you know, and, and let's just, be candid i'm 
like so many of us in academia, I'm an aging white man. And there are certain things that I sometimes cannot see. And I know that, you know, I'm, I'm sailing into some of these unknowns. And I, and so I trying to make sure I've laid a foundation that says, here are all the ways you, we can remedy something together. Um, if it, if it's not feeling correct, um, and I'll give you an ex one example is we brought a guest speaker in who said something that in the room, I didn't even notice again, because my lens doesn't, doesn't show me everything, but a young black girl who was in my class, she noticed, and she came, uh, to me the next day. And this is, we had been together now for eight months or something. It was toward the end of the spring. And, and, and she, she came in and really just laid it all out. Like, here's what was said. Here's why those words particularly sting. Um, and then, and once she had said all that, I said, okay, let's figure out what the action plans can be and let's lay out all the options. And you tell me what you're most comfortable with in terms of how do we bring this to the whole class? Do we have a class discussion about it? Do I just go to the guest artist? Um, do, do, like wh what are the, what are the options? And we worked that out together. We came up with a plan. I did the, I executed the plan that, that she helped come up with. And, but all of that, um, I feel like came from this inherent trust in, I'm, I'm going to trust that this guy that I'm seeing is true to his word, you know, and that he, he is being so open and vulnerable knowing, you know, that, that we need to see that in him so that we can trust ourselves to be open and vulnerable with him. And he's going to take that with care and with grace, even if it comes down on me, because part of the problem there is that I could, I didn't see it and I should have. You know, um, that, it, it, so it wasn't like just somebody else's issue that I had to clean up. It's something that I have to then go, okay, why didn't I see that? I should have, like, now that you say it, it's obvious. Why didn't I see that when it happened? You know, so it, it but letting them be a part of that conversation and let them be a part of that journey for me, just again, it's humanizing. It's humanizing me and humanizing them and giving both of our experiences space. That's a great story. So um, our listeners, I mean, Cal State Fullerton, like you said, is not a new program. It's sort of, um, it's been reborn in the last few years, but our listeners in particular probably, uh, it sounds familiar to them even more so because one of our first guests, our first season was your colleague, Mar Marty Austin Lamar. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what the relationship is uh, in terms of the running the program between you and, and Marty, because you are both such dynamic and exciting and very cool, if I can say, people. Um, I'm just, I'm just curious, who does what? What? what how does that all fit together? Yeah, and the other thing that, again, I don't know that I would say this on most podcasts, but I think, given what the content is for your podcast, I think it's interesting to note um, we're also extremely different people. Like our our pedagogy is extremely different. Our ideologies about education are fairly different um and where the, there are certain things that we vehemently agree on and we and we latched onto those very early on and found what those items were so that we could attack them together in this program as we revitalize but there's other things that we have to navigate because it's like ooh, i don't know like that's one idea this is another which way do we go um and the whole head of the program thing is really for us is um is just an administrative mm, <laughs> title it's it's it, it has no you know, it's not like I'm making executive decisions without uh, Marty's involvement um, for anything. If there's anything major, it, it goes to both of us and we sit down and make. And, and luckily, we have not had any major conflicts about any of it. But um, dividing up what we wanted to do was an important part of establishing boundaries for ourselves. The first year, 
I think was a kind of the experiment was like, okay, what are you doing and what am I doing? And like, when are these overlapping? When does it make sense for us to be together on an item? And when does it make sense that, no, this is just going to be faster <laughs> and more effective. You take this whole thing. So one easy example of that is the, uh, the voice studios. Um, we were expanding to four years. We needed two new sets of syllabi. Um, we needed a four-year roadmap for what that those, those uh, individual classes were structured like. Um, Marty had previously at Howard University run a vocal studio. I do not teach voice. Like that is not my background. I, I'm, I'm an actor who happens to sing. Um, so I just said, look, you by far have far more experience in that. This makes total sense that you would lead that entire thing. So he, he still oversees all of the, the vocal studios. Um, and I'm just there to sort of support and, you know, make sure things are happening, that we're getting thing, deadlines met when, when deadlines come up for different things. But it's, it, it's again, just administrative. Um, we came up with the curriculum together, how we were going to change the curriculum. That all happened in the, we had to do that so quickly. It was like, we had just met each other. We're like, okay, what, what has to change? <laughs> what has to change? What new classes? What old classes? What? Blah, blah, blah. So all of that happened together. I just did the administrative legwork of all the paperwork for it. <laughs> which is a monumental task, but it was like, you know, um, him taking the vocal studios that left me free to do all that paperwork. You know, I wasn't creating two new syllabi that I was never going to teach. Um, so it just, you, you find out what, what you need to do in terms of like what people's strengths and skill sets naturally are. Um, and you go from there. Um, uh, but, and then, it, then it's the age old thing that I'm sure you all deal with, which is selecting who teaches what class, um, which again comes sometimes comes down to just practical things. Who's available <laughs> at the time? But uh, in a, in the the best scenario is when it's just who what what's my skill set? What's yours? Um, I'm teaching to my strength. You're teaching to your strength. Um, so he teaches some of the uh, advanced acting classes. I teach the early acting classes and the fourth year like showcase business of theater auditioning classes partly because i'm still so entrenched in it but so is he he's still working he did ragtime a few months before i did it <laughs> you know at a different theater so um so it's great that we're both kind of coming in with those you know with juggling a little bit of both worlds but um but yeah it's just about making sure you're being transparent with each other as much as possible and working through whatever kinks come up along the way in a, a time when um a lot of people I'm just thinking of young people, prospective students, high schoolers are deciding whether they want to go to college, whether they want to pursue this. Um, I, I, we, we at UArts have had an interesting time to try to redefine what that is and to move with the way the world is moving, the way the industry is moving. Um, and so I'm wondering in what ways do you find you have had to um because i know you're changing the program the program has been changed but that we sort of have to market it we have to talk about it we have to set our programs apart from other programs or um and i'm, I'm just wondering what your methodology is to um to recruit or to discuss your program um and and so i'm not even specifically talking about the 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 ways in which your program might be different, but how are you getting the word out? And and um, what is the kind of student that you'd love to have at Fullerton? Ooh, so those are two very different questions. Um, uh, one thing that we are not good at and we are trying to get our feet firmly on the ground with is uh, social media is the way of communicating with 
the next generation now, particularly young people who are slowly scouting out programs. I think it's one of the brilliant things that that Caitlin did at Texas State. They have so much content online that students find it and then they suddenly just become aware of what that program is and, and the caliber of students who attend and the vibe of the place and all of that, what the what the sort of uh, goals are in terms of how they educate. Um, all of that needs to be showcased uh, and it needs to be showcased on the social media platforms that those of us of a certain age often put on the back burners like, oh, yeah. And, and I think the university itself tends to focus on big old lumbering marketing things um and that's not what people want we the next generation including our generation i think we're just very sensitive to advertising we don't want to see advertisements we don't want to be advertised to and anytime we sense it we turn to just we tend to just turn off to it so instead what people want is just accidental advertisement i just stumbled upon this this thing and i it's kind of fun oh great what's i mean they they want they want to discover it themselves and so how do we give them the opportunity to do that? We just have to be everywhere all the time. <laughs> so we've like found this year, we're finding new structures of like, how do we get students to be assigned to a project that is all about social media, create social media content, make it a competition between them. Like who can create the best day in the life, you know, <laughs> um, whatever that kind of stuff is. And then um, getting uh, platforms up that we have some control over because it can't be just chaos, but, you know, creating a new TikTok channel just for the, the school and then figuring out how to populate that with content. Um, how do we get as many students as possible to be sort of competing to be featured on that channel? That's what we're sort of devising now because we realize it's such a weak spot for for us. The other complicated thing, and this does get a little program specific, is that we're a state school. And it's like there is this question sort of uh, ideologically within the school. Do we want to be a national program when we've only got 12 spots like we might be able to we're looking at funding to expand that to like 14 to 16 spots because we know we've got a lot to offer and we know this is a really accessible program. It's cost, it's so, it's so effectively uh, priced, but, um, and we wanna be able to offer that. But at the same time, do we want people from New York and Ohio and whatever uh, here? Um, the, the system is not really designed for it. And there is an ethical question of like, well, if you just take the best 12 you can find, they're likely gonna be from all over the country. Luckily, California is an enormous state. And so that's the other side of it. Do we need to be focusing on all those other states when we've got so much talent right here? Half of my, I, I went to a school on the East Coast, half of my um, colleagues and my peers there were all from California <laughs> because they didn't feel like they had a place here to go. Um, so I feel like there's a niche to be filled right there. So that's another question is how much do we want to be out there uh, uh, soliciting other states when we also don't have scholarships for people who are out of state like we don't have the infrastructure for it um sadly full price tuition here out of state is still often 50 percent less than what some of the other schools are are charging so it's so we still become competitive we still have a, an abnormally high ratio of out-of-state students in the bfa program but um but it's, it's a lot of those questions that we're still juggling but regardless you certainly want the name out there so that the people who get to new york when after graduating whatever program they, they went to that they when they hear that name they go oh i remember that place i was i considered that place or i saw the i saw what that is or i know what that is from tiktok i know what that is from instagram um that's how we're that we're focusing a lot of our energy in that direction now um in terms of the type of students we want, I just kind of tapped on it a little. Um, we definitely want California students to be aware of us because um, at least to have an option where you might only have to pay $30,000 for all four years 
even to have that as an option as you're going through your college, you know, um, sort of audition cycles, um, I think is 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 really important <laughs> to have that on your table. Uh, so part one is just we, we do want to focus on make sure to make sure all of those students in, in our state uh, are aware. But the reality is we, we find that a lot of them are and we're having, you know, the we tripled our application numbers in one year like it like things are things are moving quick um and and that's exciting but we're also we only have some there's only me and marty <laughs> that's a lot of videos to get through so our whole christmas break tends to be just but anyway so we so we're 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 still um balancing all of these uh, equations i'm not sure if that answered the question um out, oh i should say outside of just state people in state um we are really sensitive to energy <laughs> we're really we, we we love the authenticity we love people to be coming into themselves as performers at this early age um and that is a priority but we also don't you know uh, we really want people here who want to be here who want to be studying this thing at this rigorous level because you need that you need that passion and that love for the thing to sustain you for all four years, which can be really grueling. If there's any part of you that's like, I don't really know that I want to do this so hard all the time. It, that's going to grind you down to to become pretty jaded by year three. I mean, you all see it. You've worked in this this thing. You know what it, what it can do. Um, so getting people to it's, it's like we know there's going to be a honeymoon phase. But if that already feels bumpy from the beginning, if we're getting that energy, we're sensitive to it. We're like, I don't I this might have been like their C school <laughs> and they feel like that and they feel like they they're judging it as they go into it. It's like if we sense that at all, and it's not that we need people to be like, you know, go Titans from day one either. You know, we we totally get that, you know, you, Carnegie Mellon and University of the Arts and whatever might be your first your first choices and uh, you miss and all that stuff. That's great. We love all that. But, you know, we. we we want you to still feel like you're gaining something really great by by coming here and just feeling like you're in a good mood. <laughs> Josh, I, you know, you and I only met this summer, but you are so authentic and so open. I feel I mean, we could Kikau and I could talk to you for hours and I uh, I feel so much gratitude that you carved out this time while you're ju juggling two full time jobs. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm really excited as a as a somebody who grew up in California who had to go to Ohio to get a BFA because there were no programs that I was interested in in California for musical theater. I'm really excited that up north we've got Chico State now in the south we've got Fullerton. And um, and then it's it feels like the program is the future is bright. So thank you for carving out this time. We always end our episodes by asking our guests for a recommendation. I'm curious, uh, you know, it can be anything from a resource for our listeners to use in the classroom to like what you're watching on, you know, Hulu right now. Um, what uh, what recommendation did you bring for us? So I brought you an author um, who. You may you may know you may not know. Are you familiar with Michael Kostroff? No. So a lot of a lot of academics aren't, and it's because he's not an academic. He's a, he's just an, a working actor who has a passion for teaching, um, uh, but he doesn't work in higher ed at all. But he's he's created two books that I think um, everybody should have access to. Um, one is called uh, Audition Psych One Hundred One, 
and it's based on a workshop series he's been doing for like 15 years in New York and all over the country. But so he turned it into a book for people who couldn't do the workshops. Um, although I recommend both if you have access to him. And it's Kostroff, K-O-S-T-R-O-F-F. Um, and Audition Psych 101, this, it's not like an audition book in terms of like best practices for resumes and networking and whatever. It's not about that. It's about the psychology of what actors experience from the time they get the material to the time they walk in to the waiting room to the time they go into the room to the notes that they're given to the all the head games we play with ourselves and all the stuff that makes us feel neurotic and crazy and you don't talk about it because you don't want to be the one who seems neurotic and crazy. you're a professional you go in, you go out you do your job you go home that's the face we're all giving he unpacks all of it here so you know oh i'm not crazy at all this is what everybody's thinking. In fact, this guy could write a whole book about it. Um, it's also just got some great tips for just where to psychologically put yourself to have a great audition experience and to get out of some of the traps that actors tend to get into with their own heads, getting out of their own way. Audition Psych 101. The other one is a newer book that he and Julie Garnier uh, put together called The Stage Actor's Handbook. Um, and it's it, the subtitle is Traditions, Protocols, and Etiquette for the Working and Aspiring Professional. And it's sort of all the behind the scenes stuff that we don't take time to teach in academia because it seems so silly and you can learn it on the job and you'll figure it out. But it's little things like, do you know you have to tip your dressers at a professional theater? Nobody knows that. They don't, and they don't know how much am I supposed to tip? People have debates about this every show I'm on for 20 years. How much are you tipping your dresser? How much are we supposed to? Well, I didn't really have a wig. Do I have to tip, tip the wig people? The book covers all those little nuts and bolts. That's just great. It's a great parting gift for students on the way out to be like, hey, look, if you're feeling like you're in the dark about some petty little things, read this book. It'll help clarify some stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Great recommendations. That yeah. is so awesome. You are incredible. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I can't wait to see what happens with Fullerton. Uh, I mean, it's it's just it's just so exciting. So thanks, Josh. I can't believe that those were books that I didn't know. Like that doesn't happen very often. I, thank you for that. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm trying yeah. to interview. He, you know, he's he feels like he's uh he's like, do I does anybody in academia know that I exist? And I'm like, no, but I I'll help as much as I can because I think they're <laughs> great. I think they're fantastic books. They're well written too. They're just easy to read. So Amazing. enjoy, enjoy. But happy thank to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Josh. Music for Carefully Taught was provided by Joshua Haig. For more information, visit joshuahaigmusic.com.